morning, everybody. How are you doing this morning? Why don't you look at your neighbor and say you look awful good this morning. It's good to see you. You're awful blessed. Blessed to be sitting next to me. Hallelujah. Well, it's good to see everybody this morning. It is uh, it's a special day. It's Pastor Appreciation Day, they tell me. And uh, But what I want to say... What I want to say is that I really, you guys are the real MVPs, and who really appreciates somebody is I appreciate you because I know one thing, uh, you guys make it a lot easier to be a pastor. I've been a pastor at a couple of different places and been a pastor for actually a while now, and man, do I love you guys because you guys make it easy to pastor, and that's the truth. And I appreciate you guys, and, and I appreciate the fact that, you know, here's the thing about our church and the way that I really feel and I want to be and I try to talk to people is, is that... There's so many people in this church that help me pastor. That pastoring is not a one-man show. It takes a body of believers, a family of God, to love one another, to pray for one another. There's some people that I don't even get, in, get, get to contact on a regular basis, but there are people in this church that love those people, that pray for those people, that make calls to those people, that talk to those people. And, and you know, we've got such a, such a great team that I'm so grateful to be a part of. Of course, my wife helps me more than anybody. You know what I'm saying? She, she kind of keeps it held up. But you got Jeremy that helps me, and Matt and Megan that help me with the youth, and Brian that's been with the youth and all the youth team, and, and Justin and the worship team, and then all the people that put in the work I mean, just the hospitality team over there uh, today doing all that they do. And all the people in kids' church, dozens of people serving week after week after week, trying to lead this church together. That's what it's all about. So could we just give everybody that serves and helps a hand this morning? Thank you all. I love you so much. And I appreciate you. And I just wanted to say that. But, uh, yeah, you guys feel good this morning? You ready to get into the Word? All right, well, let's, let, i tell you what, before we get started, can we just pray together, just take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to really speak to us this morning? Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness this morning. Thank you for each person that's here. And Holy Spirit, we're just asking you to come and move in a mighty way in our hearts, God, to bring life to your word. Jesus, I believe that, that, that you're going to speak to us this morning about just our life and the rhythms of our life and and where you want us to go moving forward and how you can open our hearts to hear exactly what you're wanting to say to us throughout our lives so that we can be strengthened, we can be encouraged, we can find wisdom, and we can walk in your will for our lives, God. So we open our hearts and our ears to you this morning, Holy Spirit, and we ask you to speak in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I want to talk, we've been talking about enjoying God, right? Enjoying God's been the sermon series we've been in, and this uh, morning, I want to speak specifically about something called silence and solitude. I don't know if you guys experience that very much. If you've got kids and you're at the house, that's something that you don't get to experience a whole lot. Amen. A lot of you guys got babies in here. I was telling them, we went to a pastor's conference the other day, Jeremy and I, and, and they were asking about our church, and I told them how many kids we had, and they were baffled. And I, I said, you don't know about what we're doing over here, son. We're having babies left and right. Uh, we're, we're anointed for that right now, called for such a time as this. Uh, but, you know, silence and solitude when you've got a, a young church with a bunch of babies running around is not something that you find very often, but it's a very important practice in the Christian life. And I want to kind of unpack that this morning. And if I, if I look back at my life and my history with God, and there are moments that I have alone with God, and He, he reminds me of specific moments that we have had. We need as individuals to build a history with God. 
moments where God marks our life. He speaks to us about specific things and he, and he shows us specific things. But if I go back and look at different moments of God in my life, yeah, there's a lot of moments that I've had with him in church services and there's a lot of moments I've had with him corporately in worship and experiences I've had. But the greatest moments I have had in my life with the Lord, I will have to say if I look back on it, was when I was alone with God in silence and in solitude, and God showed up and spoke to my heart in such a way that it changed the course of my life forever. And, and what, I, what I'm coming to understand is that God is constantly calling me in that place because I believe personally that the source of all true life and true ministry and pure joy and real peace is an overflow from your intimacy with God alone in the secret place. And I'm beginning to understand that more and more and more. And so it's so important that we learn that even at the beginning of this year, uh, I spent some time in a cabin for about three days just alone with the Lord. And during that time, i, I, I got to be honest with you, I spent that time with just the Lord for about three days. And about midway into the second day, it was just like the presence of God sat upon me and lingered upon me for about the next 24 hours. And I felt like the Lord was speaking to me about this church and about, and about the days to come and, and, and my life. And it, was, and it was just so manifest that I had a boldness to then make decisions and move into the future. And I went to another place uh, with, with a buddy of mine uh, to a church. And we were, they had a big prayer room. And so every morning we would go eat breakfast. And we would go into this prayer room. And we would just sit alone in that prayer. And, and when I was in there alone with God in the silence, God would begin to deal with me about specific issues in my own heart. I'd begin to cry and break down. And, and we went into one service and, and I was praying about all the things going on with the church. I had, I had the church in my mind. And, and, and a guy stands up, and he's got a guy up there on the cello, which you know what I'm saying? I mean, you got to do with the cello. The Lord's showing up anyway. Amen. <laughs> a guy's up there wearing a cello out. You know what I'm saying? And I'm just like, this is nice. you know. And he's like, we're just going to sit before the Lord. And we sat before the Lord for probably 45 minutes. Imagine that in a church service. Dude just wearing a cello out. You know, and you're just sitting there, and, and I get lost in the presence of God. I'm on the floor weeping, and what God shows me is he takes me back to all these specific moments in my life, where I was, what he brought me from, when he first spoke to me, when he saved me, when he brought me out of darkness. And, and, and all of these different moments in my life. And then he showed me, he showed me walking among these aisles, among you all. And I saw some of your faces. And I saw Jesus walking with us among the aisles of this church. And, and I saw Jesus walking with me out in, out in our yard with me and Naomi walking around. And, and the Lord marked my life. And he said, son, I'm always with you. And when I'm with you, you're going to be blessed. And you're going to have favor. And you're going to find peace. And you're going to have strength for the journey ahead because I am with you. But those moments mark your life and they change you. But you cannot have those moments without intimacy with the Lord. And when we don't have those moments, we get caught up in the high-paced activity of this digital world until it puts such pressure, such anxiety on us that we're wondering. We have, we have issues in our life. We have anxiety. We have fear. We have marital issues. We have relationship issues. And then we start making decisions based on our anxiety and our fear and our worry. And simply because, honestly, we've not learned to enjoy God. But the reason we're not enjoying God is because we don't understand the spiritual discipline that God has given us to enjoy him and we seek all kinds of other things so God gives us spiritual disciplines in order to learn to enjoy him and I know that sounds like man that, that should be contradictory you mean to tell me I've got to discipline myself to learn to enjoy God to have a better life absolutely you do enjoying God takes spiritual discipline and he invites us into this he invites us into silence and solitude and that's what I want to talk about for a minute 
that get awkward? It did, didn't it? Because silence, y'all love awkward silences, don't you? I did that on purpose, by the way. I didn't have a malfunction. I know usually you're like, Clay talks seriously and repetitively. Somebody call the ambulance. Like, like he never does that. What happened? He had a malfunction. But see, silence is a very, uh, very integral communication tool. And sometimes people use it. One guy said this, or actually Kate Kaplan said this. She said, the power of intentional silence has been well known and utilized among professional groups. Salespeople pause after pitches for dramatic effect. Counselors practice waiting five seconds after a patient stops speaking before responding. Nurses and physicians employ intentional silence to demonstrate compassion and respect. And negotiators adhere to the saying, he who speaks first loses. And so if we're talking about silence, it's interesting because most of the sermons that you hear have nothing to do with anything like this. Most of the sermons that you hear are about doing. You need to give more generously. You need to serve more passionately. You need to go out and evangelize and reach the world. It's always about doing. But I'm telling you, I'm just one of those guys that believe you cannot get the cart before the horse and you will never get anybody to uh, activate themselves in effective ministry until before they do, they become somebody in the presence of the Lord. And so the very first thing, before we go into all the world and preach the gospel, we have to become a child of God that sits at the feet of Jesus. It's from that place at the feet of Jesus in, in silence and solitude where God himself is pouring into us that evangelism is birthed, that servanthood is birthed, that ministry is birthed, that preaching the gospel pr powerfully is birthed. People who are true ministers of the gospel became powerful ministers of the gospel because they started at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is in silence and solitude, hearing his word. That is the place where it all begins because you cannot do without first being with the Lord. So it's important that we understand how to learn, learn to live this life of overflow with God. Now, Solomon says something in Ecclesiastes 5, and he points out that silence is actually an approach to worship. And here's what he said. He said, guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So number one, what Solomon is saying is that we have to approach God in silence. Now he says guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Now one of the things I think that he's saying is you need to examine your life and notice how you approach God. Pay attention to how you approach God. How do I come to a Sunday morning service? What kind, in what way do I approach God when I come before him in prayer? Do I treat it lightly? Has it become a dead ritual to me in which I'm just, oh, I'm going to church again, half asleep, you know what I'm saying? Or is it something that I'm beginning to examine my life and considering how I'm approaching the God of the universe, the worship that I offer him, what I'm speaking when I come to pray? He's saying, guard your steps, examine your life. Now, the good news is this. When they used to come into the house of God, that was the only place they were going to meet with God in the Old Testament was in the temple courts. They had to bring the appropriate sacrifice. And even then, they couldn't ultimately enter into the presence of God. Only the high priest could go into the presence of God for them. But guess what? Scripture says we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. And he went through the veil on our behalf and has passed into the heavens on our behalf and has given us access into the presence of God freely anytime that we want to come 
come through faith in Christ Jesus. There is no longer any place where we have to go to meet with God. You can meet with God wherever you want to because God now doesn't dwell in a temple made with hands. He dwells in human hearts. He dwells in believers in Jesus Christ. And you can access his presence anytime that you want to. But still, we have to develop a rhythm in our life and a relationship in our life with God in which that presence is something that still remains holy. We can't treat it flippantly. We can't treat entering into the presence of God as something where we just come in saying whatever we want, thinking like fools. You know, you hang around your buddies. You go around your buddies. You come into the room with your buddies and you may say something dumb offhand. You know what I'm saying? No big deal. Now, God wants friendship, don't get me wrong, but God is a friend who is different than your best buddy. God is holy. God is holy other. He's the God of the universe. He searches the hearts and the minds. And he wants to de develop a friendship, but it's a different friendship than the friend sitting at your right or left. It's something totally different because God is totally different. And so when we approach God, we must approach him with ears wide open listening for what he has to say and I think sometimes we get it twisted because when we come into prayer we come with a laundry list of God I want you to do these things and honestly some of the best prayer is when you allow God to pour into you and speak into you so you hear what God is saying and what God is doing rather than what you want God to do amen and it's a hard practice because we live in the flesh often and we're consumed by the world so we've got about two minutes and we let God know everything that we want him to do and then we come back out of the presence and he's saying, no, 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 I want you to come in with a different mindset. If you read Scripture, there's numerous people throughout Scripture who were separated for God's purposes. And if you look at it for a time, like Elijah, do you remember Elijah, for example? For, for, for 40 days, he fasted. He ends up in, in a couple of different situations in a cave. You remember when he was in the cave uh, hiding from Jezebel who was trying to kill all the prophets? And while he's in there, it says that there was a fire, there was an earthquake, there was a great wind or a tornado, but the Lord wasn't in any of those things. And then all of a sudden, he heard a small, delicate voice, right? That's what it says, a whispering, delicate voice in the Hebrew. Now, if you hear a whispering voice, the thing about a whispering voice is the only way when somebody's whispering to you that you can hear them is if you draw near and put your ear close to their mouth. It's intimacy. Your face is close to their face, otherwise you can't hear them. In other words, God wants to speak to us, but our world is so loud and so many voices are competing for that. Unless we steal away to be alone with God in a silent place, in a place of solitude, oftentimes we don't even recognize that we don't hear God at all. And here's what I want to say. God is speaking, y'all. Jesus even said, my sheep hear my voice and they will not follow another. But sometimes his sheep don't hear his voice because his sheep are not close to him and his sheep got so many noises going on in their life that they've not stilled away to a place where they can actually hear his voice and his voice is drowned out in the mess and the chaos of the world around us so the problem is also that most of us we've been brought up in a transactional model of ministry and worship we think man if I if I if I pray enough God you should give me something if I spend time reading my Bible you should bless me if I go to church Sunday, I'm expecting to get something back out of this this week. Like you, we do something for God, God does something for us. We're going to make a deal, God. We're going to make a trade. But the whole purpose of your relationship with God is not initially and foundationally to get anything out of God. The whole purpose of your relationship with God is to know Him. This is eternal life, that we know Him. 
that you know God. To know God is to experience the greatest gift of God that you could ever experience. If he never gives you another thing, to know him will always be the greatest gift that you could ever experience on this planet. And so when we come into God's presence, we shouldn't always be looking for things. Yes, there's a time to ask, and there's a time to receive, and God loves to give good gifts to his children. But the greatest gift that God's, God gives is the gift of himself. It's the gift of his presence. And when we know that, we begin to put things like silence and solitude on a higher level and a higher degree of importance and value in our life because we realize if I don't know God, if I don't experience God, if I don't encounter God's presence, I'm going to lose the greatest gift that I have the potential of actually receiving. And so he's moving us into this place where we begin to understand that. And so the goal is not to get anything from me, he's saying. The goal is for you to set with me. The greatest, God, has given, he's, God has answered crazy requests. I told some people in a small group the other day, we were going down to the Dominican Republic, me and my wife. And, and there were the, 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 as we were getting ready to go, they had a hurricane, a Category 4 that they said was going to hit starting out. You know what I began to do? I began to intercede. Lord God, push it north. You know what I'm saying? Y'all ever prayed those kind of prayers? Like, I, I pray that, man. And it was a selfish prayer, wasn't it? You know, somebody joked around. I think Mitch joked around and said, yeah, Lord, hit them up north. Hit them in Peru. I was like, no, 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 no. We're not praying for it to hit other places. We're praying to go out into the ocean. You, you know what that sucker did? It went out into the ocean. It changed course exactly as I prayed. You say, well, I claim that was just coincidence. I don't know. All I know is I prayed it and it moved north. Amen. <laughs> and that was a selfish prayer. And I believe God has answered some of my craziest, most selfish prayers. You know why? Because he's a friend. And he's good. And he loves to give good gifts to his children. I don't, that's how he is. But ultimately, I know that that's still not the greatest gift that he can give me. The greatest gift is when I'm alone with him in the secret place and he shows up and we have no agenda but to be with one another. And in that place, I become who he desires me to be. Man, that is so essential for us to understand as, as Christians. So number two, we don't just approach God in silence but we listen to God in prayer Ecclesiastes 5 verse 2 and 3 he says be not rash with your mouth nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God for God is in heaven and you are on earth therefore let your words be few for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words and so you know here's the thing we can come to prayer oftentimes I think and we feel this need like this deep need, and, and I, I say a lot in prayer. I'll take a walk with God around this building sometimes, and, and man, I'll pour out my heart. I'll say a lot of words. But I can also tell you that there's many times that you need to become before God. And he's saying, don't be hasty with what you want to say. Because we can come to God and have all of this list of, man, God, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, I want you to do this. But if we sit before the Lord in silence and wait upon the Lord, all of a sudden his presence shows up. And I'm going to tell you this, your heart changes and guess what else changes? Your request changes. Now you're offering to God something that's not hasty, but it's been tempered and it's been changed by the very presence of, of the God who already knows what you need before you ask, but also has an agenda that is quite a bit different from yours. And he may be wanting to pray something different than what you're wanting to pray. And it's not so much we're trying to get God to do what we want him to do. God is trying to get us to come into alignment and agreement with what he's already doing. Saying, Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we come into agreement with that. The, the Pharisees became good at repetitive phrases, but there was no deep calling unto deep. It's one thing to learn how to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for all your blessings. May 
They, they come at the spout where the glory comes out. And, I, I, you know, like we, can, we can learn how to have repetitive phrases on that, that we just like. Y'all know how you do that? Like in my prayers, there's certain things if I pray in public, I've got repetitive phrases that I just hit because, well, it's in public. But see, there's something that goes beyond that, that it's, it's a deep calling unto deep. And it's God's heart mixing with your heart. And we have to learn that and we have to experience that. He says in verse 4, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. And what he's literally saying here is say what you mean. And if you don't have anything worth saying in the presence of God, guess what? You don't have to open your mouth. Because God has a lot more to say and it's of much more value. There's a place of listening prayer. Matter of fact, Exodus 14, 14, and I really like this, and I think this fits even more than what we're talking about. But it says, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. He's saying, you know what? There's situations in your life where if you would just come before the presence of the Lord, it says that he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I don't know about you, but when I got a table set up to eat from, I don't do a lot of talking. You know what I'm saying? Y'all ever get around a table of people eating and everybody just shuts up for a minute? It's silent because we're feasting on the Lord and we're silent. And as we're feasting on the Lord, our enemies are destroyed. God fights our battles for us because we remain in his presence and we trust him. Psalm 62.5 says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. And when we get in bad difficulties and we're wondering how is this going to happen and how are we going to work this out, man, we try to figure it out, don't we? I'm a, we're, a lot of us are fixers. God, help me fix this. I'm going to get to work. And we try to fix this thing. But see, there's a point in the human life where you recognize, I cannot fix this. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait in silence before the Lord and trust in that silence that, one, he will speak to my heart and give me a different perspective, but he's going to come through on my end because I'm silent before him and I'm trusting in him. Habakkuk 2.20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. One of the challenges, like if you've been married for a time, maybe some of your husbands, uh, you understand, maybe you can... I don't know, probably you, you husbands in here don't have this issue, I don't know. You know how like after you've been married for a while, your wife can talk and you can even say, yeah. And then you recognize after it, you don't have a word, you don't got a clue what she said. Anybody amen this morning? I forgot. And she's like, did you hear a word that I just said? I'm thinking, I actually didn't. Say it again, please. I'm sorry. Say it again one more time. That happens. But my fear is, is that also happens to us when we go through religious ritual without spiritual discipline, that we hear the sermon, God's even speaking. We hear it, but we don't hear it. And we've become numb to it because we've become so familiar with religious practices that we're no longer spiritual people who know how to have relational intimacy with God. See, it's a practice even in your own marriages that you've got to sit down every now and then and turn some screens off and like look one another in the eyes. You know what I'm saying? And hear what the other person is saying. In the same way, it's very difficult to have a deep, intimate relationship with God when you're praying to God, when you've got the TV going on and you're looking at your phone and you're getting texts and you're reading emails and you're doing all these things until you tune it out and look him in the eyes face to face can you actually begin to hear what he's seriously saying to your heart there's a still small voice that God wants to release to his people and silence forces us to focus our heart's affection and our mind's attention only on God silence pushes us into that place and you get let me tell you that y'all ain't gonna like this 
But in the quiet place before God, you can't take your phone in there, will you? Uh, oh, my gosh. I know the addiction is deep. I told Andre the other day, I said, I feel like I've been addicted to a lot of things in my life. I've been addicted to drugs, alcohol, pornography. Probably the greatest addiction I've ever experienced in my life is my phone. I'll sit there and be looking at stuff like I'm, hit, I'm clicking apps and I don't need to be clicking apps. Any, can anybody relate to this? It is poisoning my life. And I get that I do a ton of things on it. In so many ways, it's helpful. I can communicate with the whole church and a thousand different people at once and get a hundred text messages and be in contact with what's going on here and what's going on there. But there are times in my life that I have to recognize this is keeping me from hearing God. And we have to learn some healthy spiritual practices in order to get away to hear the small still voice of God. Now, God speaks in a lot of different ways. I believe that God speaks through His Word primarily. The Holy Spirit illuminating His Word. He speaks through circumstances in our lives. He speaks through the Holy Spirit. I believe He speaks through the gifts of the Spirit in the church. And He speaks through the church and the people that we fellowship with. But Dallas Willard said this. He said, the quality of God's voice is more a matter of weight or impact and impression makes on our consciousness. In other words, what he's saying is there certain impressions. When you're praying, when you're seeking God, there's certain impressions on your life where maybe nobody else it makes sense to, but for you in that moment it makes perfect sense and it has a big impact on your life. And you know God is leading me right now in this. God is saying this. Sometimes he confirms it because the same things happen over and over again. Or, or a word is spoken from a message and it's just like, man, that's exactly what I've been reading. That's exactly what I've been studying. That's exactly what I've been praying about. And God impresses that upon your life. And he's saying oftentimes in the weight of that impression, what you're hearing is the voice of God. But what he'll argue is that many of us never sense the weight of that impression because we're never alone with God in the secret place. And because we're never alone with God in the secret place, God can say a thousand different things, but it never has weight or impact because it gets drowned out in the noise of the world around us. So the greatest benefit of engaging in silence, even if it's just for a moment, is to sharpen your spirit to what God is saying in that moment. To slow down, to tune out, to unplug from the world, to turn all the screens off, and to be silent before God, whether you got to take a walk or you got to sit in a room and close the door. Uh, Y'all got to hear me on this. Amen. I know you're like, Clay, this is boring. We ain't going to do this. I'm telling you, you do this, and you'll start to experience and encounter God in your life in a different way, and you'll thank me that you did it. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes it takes being still in order to actually know God. Amen. Sometimes it takes being still in order to actually know God. We talked about hurry sickness like last week. I joke around with Andrea there yesterday. I was like, you know, how many, how, many things, how many things can we fit into this day? You know what I'm saying? Come on. Let's see if we can get like 12 events going. I was joking, of course. But it, a lot of times I feel like we do that, don't we? It's like, how many things can I pack into a day to do and be productive? And the more productive you are, actually, spiritually, the less productive you are becoming. Because you think that doing more and, and, and causing more to happen is actually causing more. But here's the thing. You're doing a lot externally, but internally you are dying. Amen. In order to have a vibrant external life of serving the Lord and being with people powerfully, you have to have an internal life with God that sustains it. And this is a big aspect of enjoying God. Do you remember, how many of y'all actually remember being bored? I was talking to Andre about this the other day. Y'all ever remember, like back in the day when you used to get bored? 
Somebody will be like, no, I don't remember that. I've never been bored. Some of you, some of you that were born in the 2000s, you don't even remember what boredom is. Son, I remember when if you wanted to make a phone call, you had to go home and pick up the landline. Somebody said, well, I remember when there wasn't phones. <laughs> I remember when you had to send a telegraph, praise God. But, but here's the thing. You know, now we have that access to a screen at all times that we never actually get to experience boredom anymore. Our kids never experience boredom because if they got one second of boredom, put a screen on, put Bluey on. You know what I'm saying? Let's get something before them. I mean, God forbid they be bored and have to think in other areas of their brain and have creativity and innovation and look at the sky and wonder about God and possibly even pray. God forbid. Boredom shouldn't last longer than two or three seconds, not with all this technology we've got. And in doing so, we are becoming toxic to our souls and hurried digital distraction is robbing us of the ability to be present. Andrew Sullivan said this. He said, there are books to read. There are landscapes to be walked. There are friends to be with and life to be fully lived. This new epidemic of distraction is our civilization's specific weakness. And its threat is not so much to our minds or the way we think, even as they shapeshift under the pressure. The threat is to our souls. And at this rate, if the noise does not relent, we might even forget we have any souls. He's saying the epidemic that we face, especially as a spiritual group of people and as Christians, the reason the Christian church is so powerless is because we live in an epidemic of distraction. The biggest problem is not sexual sin or, or sexual immorality or, or drugs. or That's not the problem with the church. The problem with the church is that we're so distractive, we don't have deep relationships with God. And because we don't have deep relationships with God, we're turning to these other temptations and we're being overcome and succumb to the power of the world because we don't have deep relationships with God. We want our relationship with God to be just like everything else. We want our relationship with God to be like an Instagram feed where we can watch an eight-second clip and then go on. Here's the problem. You may be able to look at an eight-second clip of a video, but you cannot have an eight-second clip of a relationship with God. And enjoying God takes a different rhythm and pattern of life altogether than the modern world. Ronald Rollheiser said it like this, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Now, here's the thing. I know you're like, golly, Clay, this is a little bit like depressing. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be distracted into spiritual oblivion. But here's the thing. I really believe that if we look at Jesus as our model and, we, and, we take, uh, and we're aware of this reality in our lives and we understand that to be a Christian, it takes more than just the modern church attendance idea, but it actually takes the spiritual practices. And as we said two weeks ago, the yoke of Jesus and learning to live life as Jesus learned to live life, even if it's, it's in measure, we can have healthy, vibrant spiritual lives where we're hearing from God and being led by his spirit and his presence and Jesus modeled for us a perfect life he demonstrated for us he was fully God but he also was fully man and demonstrated for us what it looked like to live a life as a human being in right relationship with God the Father now he was God but he prayed more than all of us put together which is interesting. Why? Because he was also fully man and his inner life in the quiet place was the bedrock of his powerful life in the public place. His inner life in the quiet place was the bedrock of his powerful life in the quiet place. And you see this over and over again in Scripture. Matthew 4, 1. If you remember, Jesus was baptized and the Spirit of God came upon him 
came, descended from heaven like a dove, came upon him, and there was a voice from heaven, the Father, that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And then it says, Immediately Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, this is a very specific word, and y'all love Greek studies, so I'm going to give you one. Amen. I know you. Maybe it's just me that loves it, but, but I'm going to give it to you either way. So there's this word here, eremos. When he goes, the Spirit drove him into the eremos, and this word is used over and over again, especially in the Gospels. And he drove him into the eremos, and here's what that word can mean. It can mean deserted place. It can mean solitary place. It can mean quiet place, lonely place. Or wilderness, it's translated differently. But so many times, over and over and over again, Jesus goes to this specific place. He goes to the Aramos over and over and over again, and you see it throughout Scripture. Now, what's interesting is if I read that, you remember Jesus is driven by the Spirit. Here's what I'm not expecting. I don't expect the Holy Spirit, if he's a good guy, and he is, to send me into a wilderness among wild beasts to be tempted by Satan after not eating for 40 days. Anybody say amen to that? Like, I, Holy Spirit, how are you going to do this to me, bro? You going to make me bypass eating for 40 days and go into the wilderness where nothing is? And in, 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 in my mind, I'm even thinking, you know what? This is probably, I mean, just imagine, just like the devil to come at your weakest point when you're starved to death and you're tired and you're alone and all these things. But you know what? Here's what I've came to realize. When Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and he's fasted for 40 days, he was not at his weakest point. He was at his strongest point. That's something that we... We don't realize. We think when we're well-fed and well-rested and well-kept and the most comfortable is when we are at our strongest point. And I want to argue the opposite. I think that fasting, that self-denial, that being alone with God, that being in difficult places alone with the Lord is actually where you receive the greatest measure of spiritual strength. It says that after he was tempted by the devil, which he faced those temptations and passed them with flying colors and said, get behind me, Satan. You ain't getting me on none of the points that you got the first Adam at. I'm the last Adam, and I'm a different dude. So you better back up. And Satan left him and waited for another opportune time. And it says he came out of the wilderness after having not eaten for 40 days in the power of the Spirit. See, it, well, he wasn't at his weakest point when he was alone in solitude and silence in the wilderness with God. He was at his strongest point. You think because you're well fed you're at your strongest point. And I'm telling you if you pray and fast and get along with God, you'll actually then be at your strongest point to resist the temptations of the devil. It's probably because you're so well fed and so comfortable that you're so easily succumbed to the lies of the enemy. Yeah, that's good preaching. We get it mixed in our comfortable world. He was at his strongest point and then you go on. He returns in the power of the Spirit. He begins his ministry but he continues those rhythms over and over. Mark 1 is, is basically a chapter about Jesus' first day on the job. So in essence, in Mark chapter 1, you see Jesus returning from the wilderness. And it's a marathon day. He gets up early in the morning. He teaches in the synagogue. He, he heals Peter's mother-in-law over lunch. Whenever they go to Peter's house, and then he, he, he heals the sick and the demonized all night long. And it's a hard Sunday for him, obviously. He's probably really exhausted, but guess what it says as soon as this day. Now get this. He's in the wilderness 40 days fasting. He comes back, enters into ministry, heals the sick, preaches the gospel in the synagogue, and immediately, Mark 1.35, the next day, rising early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out into a desolate place, the Aramos, and what did he do? He prayed. 
I mean, here's, I'm being honest with you. From a pastor's perspective, after that kind of day, you know what I'm doing Monday? I'm playing golf. You know what I'm saying? I'm sleeping in. Somebody amen me. Like, I, like there's better ways to rest than getting up early and giving it to the Lord. But see, what Jesus realized is that golfing is not real rest. It's a, it's a carnal type of rest. It's a fleshly type. And I love to golf, y'all. I mean, I ain't saying nothing bad about that. Don't get me wrong. You golf and praise God. Bless your soul. There are gifts that God gives us to enjoy, but it's not a spiritual type of rest. What Jesus knew was sleeping in and getting a late brunch and just not doing anything that day was not what was going to be the most rest for his soul. He had a ministry. The greatest rest would be, I need to get up before anybody else gets up to go to a solitary place, the Aramos, and be alone with God. That's how I'm going to refuel. That's how I'm going to find strength for the next day. And this is hard. But see, the quiet place for Jesus wasn't just a one-time thing. It became a part of his life rhythm. And here's what he says in the very next verse after he went to a solitary place and prayed. Notice, verse 36. And Simon and those who were with, with him searched for him because he went out from them after they woke up late because they were tired. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And so here's basically what he's saying. Lord, everybody's looking for you. What you did yesterday was amazing. You cast out demons. You healed the sick. You preached the gospel. I mean, people want to see what you got. You're trending right now on social media, bro. We got to strike while the iron's hot. If you could pump out one book, we could make millions today. And not only that, I'm pretty sure we could take over. You could be king of Israel, and we could set all things right and destroy the Roman Empire. We got to get this thing going, get the ball rolling. Jesus, this is good stuff. Anybody amen me? It would be like having a blowout church service right here, and you have 300 saved, and, and just people are getting healed, or so, all kinds of crazy stuff are happening, and everybody's like, oh, man, we got to keep this going. We're going to schedule a revival night after revival night after revival night. And Jesus comes back, and you know what he says? He said to them, no, let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. That's why I came out. What is he saying? He's saying, you know what? When I go and get alone with God and I steal my soul in the presence of God, when I come back out, I know what I'm coming back out for. It's when I'm not alone with God that I allow the pressures of other people and allow the demands of other people and the requests of other people and the pressure of the world to push me to make a decision that is actually not coming from the heart of the Father. See, he was able to say no to certain things because he was solidified in his identity. He knew who he was. Why? Because he went to the quiet place alone with God and God spoke to him about this is what you need to do. So he was able to say no when he needed to say no and he was able to say yes when he needed to say yes. He knew exactly who he was and exactly what he needed to do because he was alone with God in the secret place. And as you go on in the Gospels, you realize that the secret place, the quiet place, was the top priority for Jesus. That silence and solitude with the Father was his top priority. And here's what's interesting. If you go on in, in the book of Mark, they're doing ministry left and right, doing kingdom work left and right. They're totally exhausted. And in Mark 6, here's what happens. It says the apostles returned to Jesus, told him all that they had done and taught. They're working miracles. And he said to them, all right, I know you've been working hard. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place, a Ramos, and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And so here's what he's saying. I know you've been exhausted. I know you're wore out. How many of y'all you get wore out every now and then? You know what I'm saying? You work hard. You're just like, boys, I've had enough. I'm tired as I can be. And Jesus says to them, you know what? Come aside. What you don't need is a Netflix binge. What you don't need is another round of golf. What you don't need is even a vacation. What you need is to come away with me for a while 
and spend some time with me. And that's where you're going to find your rejuvenation. Now, it's really interesting because he does that. And notice this, though. People see, see them getting ready to go away. And it says in verse 33, notice this. Now, many saw them going. They were about to go away with Jesus, and they recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns in there and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, Now look, Jesus, you told us we was going to a desolate place, and yet here it is. All these people come up and place a demand on you, and you have compassion on them. And you start teaching again. But he says, This is a desolate place, the disciples did. And the hour is now late. So send them away, Jesus, and let's go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, I love the realism of this story because what happens is you got... How many of you have ever decided, I'm going to get alone, spend some time alone with the Lord, and then a million things come at you? You're like, it don't work. I tried this, Clay. I tried what you're talking about, man. But then the demands of life come at me and swallow me up, and I can't pull it off anyway. And so they're now feeding these people and they said well Jesus said no 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 don't send them off to buy themselves something let's take a few what, what, what do we got he multiplies it he feeds 5,000 and then they're moving on after they fed 5,000 after he has time now what's interesting about this and I want to say this is that even when you are worn out see Jesus can still multiply the loaves and fishes even when you are worn out and the demands of life are, are surrounding you, there is still Jesus with you in you, and he can, he can multiply the loaves and fishes. Now, that doesn't mean that you can continue to live an unhealthy pattern and an unhealthy rhythm where you burn yourself out, but it does mean when you have to and you're at rock bottom, Jesus is still there even when you are at your weakest point, and he still has a supply that is infinite for you even in that moment, and he can multiply the loaves and the fishes when you've got no resources left. So they experience Jesus in that. So they don't, they're not living under the weight of, oh, I have to be in the, in the secret place all the time or I'm going to die. But then it says, the story still isn't over. Verse 45, it says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. So he's dismissing the people. He makes them get in the boat. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Now notice this. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. So Jesus sends them off. It's the middle of the night. Rather than taking them to a quiet place, Jesus sends them off. And where does Jesus go? He doesn't go to the Ramos, but he goes to a mountainside all night long to pray. And what Jesus is saying is even if I have to minister to people all night long, at the end of the day, rather than getting sleep, what's more important than even my sleep is my alone time with the Father. Consider that. Now, I think, I think sleep's important, y'all. i got to be honest with you. Like, I'm a big-time sleeper. I feel like you need eight, nine. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's just the way I feel. I think sleep is important. But this speaks to me because it's the, it, it's the point that Jesus says, yes, sleep is important, rest is important, but the greatest sleep and the greatest rest and the greatest resource that you're going to experience is even if sometimes you need to leave, lose some sleep to be alone with God, that's what's going to be more beneficial for your life. You understand that? Y'all ain't even made men of me now. You're like, oh, you're cutting into my sleep. So in the book of Luke, Jesus retreated to this place no less than nine times. In Luke 5, verse 15, it says, But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. 
But he would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. And that's what it's saying. It was repetitive. He would withdraw and he would pray in silence and in solitude before the Lord. And that was his spiritual strength. And if Jesus needed quiet time and he was God, how much more quiet time do you think we need with the Lord? You know, somebody said, well, Clay, we just don't have that kind of time. You know what I'm going to do? I'm gonna, I've done this before, but I'm going to call bull on it. Y'all say you don't have any time. I'm going to go with what I've quoted John Popper, uh, Piper a hundred times on this. But until you tell, the only way you're going to be able to tell me you don't have time is if you show me your cell phone and you swipe left over to that how much you've been on it in that daytime, and then I'll believe you. Amen. Here's what, here's what John Piper said if you want to put that up. He said, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. And that's really true, isn't it? Prayerlessness was not from lack of time. It was from abuse and misuse of time. And so Jesus is inviting us into this place. And here's the thing. Often we come to church for a quick hit of God and then we retreat back into our disconnected lives of, of just running rampant and running wild. But let me give you a, a few quick points and I'm done. There's some steps that I believe we can take into silence and solitude. Number one is we need to recognize little moments. Uh, here's the thing. In your daily walk, there was a guy named uh, John Eldridge. He, he, he talked about the one-minute the one silence. And throughout his day, he said early in the morning, he would take a minute before anybody else got up, and he would just take one minute to recenter his heart toward God. And, and during the day at lunch, he would step outside, and he would just close his eyes and take a deep breath and take one minute of silence to recenter his heart before God. And, and before he, as he was pulling in the driveway, before he went back home to, to differentiate work from, from home, he would take one minute of silence before God in order to reorient his heart back to God and back to, to God in that moment and him being present in that moment to disconnect so recognize little short times of inner quiet that are going to reorient our lives to God in order to be genuinely present and then secondly guess what this is going to be a difficult one but you've got to find time to block out with no screens like find time to say we're not watching TV for these two hours we're not going to have cell phones out for these couple of hours there's going to be time in my day and in my week where there are no screens so that I can be alone with God and be alone and quiet in a quiet place. And then thirdly, you've got to d develop a quiet place. Whether it's taking a walk. Uh, you know, sometimes I, if I'm here midday and I take a little minute, I'll walk around this building. I used to work at other places. I did the same thing. I would find a place to go take a walk to develop a quiet place with the Lord. Maybe you've got a room in your house. Some of you, I know you've got prayer rooms in your house. If you've got a space, set it up where people know if they're in that room, it's quiet time with the Lord. You have to develop a quiet place. And then fourthly is quarterly withdrawals. Once a quarter, you can take three or four hours and figure out some place to go, some place to be where you actually start to hear from God and set some life goals. And let me say this, goals in life, what I found, are not made, they are revealed. God will speak to you if you'll take time with Him. You can take three or four hours a quarter. And then fifthly, you need to learn to speak less and listen more. Amen. So here's the issue. Henry Nouwen said it like this. He said, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to Him. And here's what happens when we don't practice silence and solitude. Number one, we start to feel distant from God. Any of y'all ever felt distant from God? We start living 
off of somebody else's spirituality. We live off a podcast. We live off a sermon. We live off a quick devotional. But we don't have anything personal with the Lord because all we've ever got from God is what somebody else first had with God. We're disconnected from Him. We don't have a personal relationship. It's hand-me-down stuff. Number two, we feel distant from ourselves. We lose our identities and we lose a sense of calling. I mean, when I, I'll be honest with you. When I'm not in the presence of God regularly, my life starts to feel hectic. I don't have clarity. I'm confused. Decisions that I make, I'm so uncertain on. But in the presence of God, all of that stuff just starts to, the, the, the sediment starts to settle. And I start to have clarity. And I remember who God's called me to be and who I am in the presence of God. Number three, what happens when we don't practice silence and solitude is we live in an undercurrent of anxiety that's constantly pulling us. And no matter how hard we try, we feel like we're never going to catch up. You know, the thing that I notice is that if I get up early and I spend time with the Lord, I feel like, you know what, this day is it's unfolding nicely. But oftentimes when I don't spend time with God, I feel anxious and rushed and I feel like nothing is ultimately getting done. Number four, exhaustion then leads to escapes and temptations. And here's what happens. We run out of energy to actually do what we're supposed to be doing spiritually. And so then we turn to other cheaper outlets like TV, pornography, alcohol whatever it may be that we turn to in order to fulfill some deep need because we are exhausted. And rather than in our exhaustion turning to Jesus, we turn to fleshly, carnal, cheap fixes. And fifthly, then emotionally unhealthy patterns arise. We get angry easy. We find ourselves being triggered at the least little thing. And all of a sudden, little character flaws that come up in our hearts over and over again, we're wondering why they're back and why they're there. And it's simply because we've got out of the presence of God and we've forgotten that we need time alone with Him. It's really as simple as that. And this reality is something that Jesus, I believe, is inviting us all to. He's calling us from a place of loneliness to solitude. Because here's the thing. Solitude is not isolation. When people isolate themselves, they set themselves up for demonic attack. You need to be with people. And you need to be with the people of God. And you need to be in community. Solitude is not isolation. You can go and be alone with God for a short period of time. And when you come back, you are able to be more present with the people around you. You're able to be more connected with the people around you because you are centered in your identity with God and you are present with the presence of the Lord. And you are refilled and you are refurbished, so to speak. And you're rejuvenated in that sense. But the fruit of solitude is increased sensitivity and compassion for others. Thomas Merton said this. He said, it is in deep solitude that I find the gentleness with which I can truly love my brothers. The more solitary I am, the more affection I have for them. Solitude and silence teach me to love my brothers for what they are, not for what they say. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that rather than trying to spend time with everybody as much as I possibly can, what I find is it's better for me to get alone and be with God. And when I'm alone and I'm with God, love starts to overflow in my heart so that when I go back to my brothers and back to my family, there's a greater, deeper well and reservoir of love to pour out on them because I've been with the source of love alone. And that's important for us to understand because Jesus is calling us into this place. And, and I, you know, I, don't, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what kind of burdens you're carrying. But more than anything, we have got to learn 
to enjoy this relationship, this, this privilege that God has given us to have a relationship with Him where He speaks to our hearts, where He shows us who we are. And He says, look, this world has been set up in such a way where it has been designed by Satan to distract you into oblivion. But Jesus still loves you. And Jesus will hold you up even when you feel like you're at your weakest. And what I've told you before, even when I'm at my worst and I feel like I've not prayed enough, I've not done enough, I've been a terrible pastor, I've been a terrible husband, even when I'm at my worst, when I enter back into the presence of God, what I never experienced from Jesus is Him sitting there saying, man, I'm so disappointed. What I experience is Him putting His arms around me, loving me, reminding me of who I am, and letting all of that trash from the world fall off. That's how much God loves you. So no matter how distant you've been, he's still saying, I love you, and I want you to come back into my presence. And that's the invitation today. And I don't know where all of you stand as far as your relationship with God. Maybe you've not even started one, but today is that day if that's, if that's you. So I want you, I want you to bow your, bow your heads and close your eyes with me here for a minute. And just try to be sensitive in this moment to what God is speaking to you specifically and what he's asking you to do. Maybe even just take a moment right here in the silence as they get ready to to play and to worship. Just take a moment right there in the silence. I'm not even going to pray for you. I'm going to give you a moment to listen to God. There's a million distractions even trying to sit in a moment here silent. But I do believe that the Lord Jesus is is trying to impress something on our hearts that there is a greater depth of relationship and friendship that he's offering to all of us in this season. And I believe that if we will respond to that invitation and find a place, find that ramos, find that quiet place with the Lord, where we develop an intimate relationship with Him, He is going to show you exactly who He has called you to be, who He has made you to be. He's going to give you wisdom that you've never had. He's going to let you know Him like you've never known Him before. You're going to encounter His love. Many of you, you've got hang-ups and addictions and strongholds and relational issues. And in the presence of God, those things are going to break off. And some of those habits that keep on pulling at you, Scripture says that in in His presence is fullness of joy and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. And when you go into that secret place with God, you're going to find that some of those other things that you used to turn to, they're just inferior. They cannot compete with the pleasure and the joy 
that God gives you in His presence. And so there's an invitation available, and He's just asking you to rearrange your life. He's asking you to set aside some distractions, to intentionally say, No, Lord, I'm cutting this off, and I'm going to a quiet place and a secret place with you because I want to develop a relationship that is so deep that it sustains an outer life where the world knows I'm accomplishing your will and your call upon my life. That's where God is calling you. And so, Lord, I bless each one. And Holy Spirit, I ask you to do this work in our hearts as a church and as a body so that, Lord, number one, we can enjoy you and we can glorify your name through enjoying you. And that, Holy Spirit, you could fill us and take up your residence and make your home in us so that we could be your willing vessels. And, Lord, demonstrate who you are, Jesus, in this earth. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to respond to the Lord however you see fit. Here's the thing, if you want to stand and worship, can we take a moment here to continue to respond to the Lord? And I'm going to ask you sincerely this, and I ask it over and over again. If you need prayer this morning for anything whatsoever, I believe that God responds when His people seek Him out and ask for prayer. I believe that when you respond, when you come forward, things like that, when you pray at your seat, that God sees your response to Him, and He moves in these situations. So if you need prayer, I want you to come forward. If you want to gather around this altar and pray, you can do that. If you want to pray at your seat, you can. Stand to your feet if you'd like and worship, but respond to the Lord and give Him an opportunity to do something in your heart this morning. God bless you all.